Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Many questions swirl through your mind when you're preparing for retirement. But none is more crucial than the question our host Barry Watts is going to answer on today's edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I'm Barry Watts, your host. Professionally, I'm a tax strategist and retirement designer. I help business owners reduce income taxes by often as much as six figures and help them and other people approaching retirement design strategies to make sure their retirement is in the least taxing and as financially rewarding position as possible. Now, today we're going to spend our time focused on retirement truth on the podcast as we deal with what I call your biggest retirement question. Well, now, wait a minute, Barry. There are several retirement questions. How can you have a biggest one? Well, I just think there's one that's more important than all the others. And it's very rarely the one that people start with. And so naturally, it's what I want to focus on today. But Patrice, you tell me, what do you think the biggest retirement question is? Or maybe maybe what do you think some of those retirement questions are? Oh, I think, well, it's definitely money. It's do I have enough money to retire? Where can I, where am I going to get my money? How do I get my money? How do I get my money? Yeah, that's a big one. I, I, I get a kick out of that. And the reason I get a kick out of that is that's probably the easiest one, <laughs> but it is kind of a big deal to people. I remember my own dad, when he was getting ready to retire, he was, he was really totally gummed up on how could he get money out of his accounts yeah. as if they were cemented and padlocked shut. And it's like, dad, you just tell me how much you want every month and we'll send it to your checking account. So that's not a hard question. What though do you think Patrice might be the biggest overarching question people deal with? Do I have enough money? Well, it's pretty close to that. Okay. Uh, really the biggest retirement question is simply this. Do I have enough money to live comfortably? Uh -huh. for the rest of my life? Or am I going to run short at some point in the future? So, so, you know, this idea of can I retire? Should I retire now? When should I take my social security? Those are all good questions, but they all are driven to the bigger question, which is, do I have enough money to live comfortably for the rest of my lifetime? It might surprise you to know that many people retire without having a clear answer to that question. In fact, they're so enthused about retirement, driven by usually having hit an age mm. of 62 or 65 or 66 now as it is. And so they say, okay, I'm ready to retire. Well, the first question I'm going to ask is, do you have enough money to meet your lifestyle expectations for the rest of your lifetime? And they'll say, yes, I do. And then I'll say, okay, well, how do you know? <laughs> really? And then they'll say, well, I think I do or I hope I do. But think about this, Patrice, you only get to retire one time at life in life. At least we hope you only retire once. 
and that you don't have to go to back to work and then re-retire at mm, some point yeah. later. And so it's really important to nail down the answer to this question as firmly as possible before you turn in your retirement paper and hang up your spurs. So today I'm going to walk and talk you through this question and help you begin to understand how to answer that question in a manner that is as reliable and accurately as possible. All right, where do we begin? Well, it all starts by asking this question. We've referenced this question in previous podcasts not too long ago. The question is, how much income do you need in retirement? What is your monthly net after-tax spending target in today's dollars? So how much money do you need in retirement? And people do what you just did all the time, Patrice. They sigh. Yeah. They say, oh, well, I haven't thought about that. Well, if you haven't thought about that, are you qualified to retire? I don't think you are. You probably haven't thought about it enough. Well, precisely, you know, because (laughs) Social Security drives the retirement thinking in America. And when I was a kid, you know, it was all about 62 and 65. And now, of course, 65 isn't the age. It's gradually increasing up into 67. But people use that as their retirement signal. When in reality, your retirement signal ought to be, do you have enough money to provide the lifestyle you need for the rest of your life expectancy? That's what the retirement signal ought to be. And Social Security is not going to do that. Well, no. Social Security was never designed to do that. And so what people need to really begin thinking about is how much does it cost me to live every month net after taxes, the amount that gets deposited into my account, how much does that need to be every month? Now, most people say, well, they don't know. And so they they just start guessing. And one of the guesses I hear is, well, you know, you don't really spend as much money in retirement. Oh, really? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Of course you do. Well, yeah, that's a that's a an, kind of an ancient and archaic idea that you won't spend as much money in retirement. And here's the simple reason why. Patrice, do you know, I, I gave you this on an earlier podcast, you may or may not remember. Do you know what the most expensive day of the week is? Saturday. That's right. And why is that the most expensive day? Because you're there, you can spend, you got nothing else to do. Well, and Saturday's the day that you go to the grocery store yep. and the hardware store and you stop and have your car clean and you pick up your uh, dry cleaning and you uh, uh, maybe you make the repair on the lawn and you buy the new bush and you plant it out in the lawn. And Saturday's the day that you finally get around to buying the new Christmas tree and putting it up and rewiring the Christmas. That's when you spend all your money yep. is on Saturday. And when you retire, every day is Saturday. <laughs> So the notion that you'll live on less in retirement than you do while you're working, that's just a faulty notion. And is that really why you've worked all these years so that you could retire and then lower your standards? I don't think so. No, 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 no. I'm going to retire and maintain the same level of uh, living. That really is, is kind of insightful. It's really probably for most people about figuring out what it takes me to live now because I'm comfortable as I live now. And if I could just maintain the lifestyle I have now without having to take any reductions, but without having to go to work, if I could maintain this lifestyle, then that's the one I want. So here's kind of a a tool or an idea to help you do this. One way that you can figure out what this number is in the simplest way is you can just say, well, okay, how much do we deposit into my checking account every month? And is that enough? Is it the right amount? Or is it a little bit too much because I'm saving off of that? Or am I having to supplement it from some other money that I inherited or whatever the question happens to be? 
So kind of start with the amount that gets deposited into your checking account each month. Now, something you need to think about and perhaps add to that is that there will be additional expenses that are going to come along uh, that you may not be seeing on a monthly basis. For example, you may buy a car only once every three or four or five years. Well, if you want to write a check for a car, you probably don't want to wait and run up against that expense and say, okay, now I need to write a $40,000 check. You probably mm -hmm. want to divide that by five years worth of months, which would be what, 60, and every month have that many dollars go into the little fund that you use for the car purchase when it comes down the road. And there are other things that you have to add to this, like hearing aids and dental care and your recreation and travel trips that you want to take. So even if you took a, a ledger and began writing down every expense for three months, there are annual things that you would miss, like car purchases, taxes and insurance. And you have to be sure and add those in, too. So it's a little bit of an arcane process, but it's well worth the time, because if you'll dedicate yourself to that for a three month period of time, you can zero in, get a good idea of how much income you're going to need to retire on. And then you can retire and spend hopefully the next 30 years in a successful retirement because you did a little planning and a little thinking early on. So this is more than just a simple budget. This is a budget where you're actually, as you say, looking out three, five years to think about those annual expenditures you want to put aside, say, for this car or for your insurance or for taxes. I bet you a lot of people don't think about taxes. What about a roof on the house? Yeah. You know, when did your house last get roofed and when will it have to be roofed again? Um, that's something that you have to think about. So yes, you have to think about all these things and begin building that number. Because if you don't build that number, then you'll run into this expense and you'll say, hey, Barry, I need $30,000 to roof my house. Well, the $30,000 ding on your overall retirement accounts can be expensive, especially if it happens in the same year when you say, hey, Barry, I need $40,000 because my wife's car just died. And oh, by the way, I just broke three teeth eating Ooh. peanut brittle oh. at Christmas time, and it's going to cost $10,000 to fix those teeth. At least that's what I thought the dentist said, but I couldn't hear him real well because I needed new hearing aids, and that's going to cost me about $7,000. So did you hear how much money we just spent there? I don't know, 50, 60, 70,000 dollars. You're a mess. That, you're, you're a mess. Exactly. I'm sorry. And you can't afford to have those things come against you. So we have to get our brain around how many dollars do we need to spend every month for the rest of our life in retirement and be sure that that number includes all of those one-time, one-off, unusual expenses that come down the road. Now, I've got clients who uh, are, are a cross section of America. I have some clients who their number is I want $20,000 a month to spend. And I appreciate them because I like that number <laughs> myself. That's a good number. <laughs> I've got a, one guy one time was in my office not long ago when I asked him how much it took every month, $1,200 a month. And you know, the sad part is I think he was telling the truth. But the simple fact is I can't get out of bed for $1,200. $1,200. Um, that means no, so, what does he eat? Where, where does he live? Uh, yeah, what does he I, wear? I think he's eating cat food and oh, he yeah. just, yeah, it was a very unusual kind of person. But the point is the number is your number, not my number. <clears throat> a lot of times people look at me and they want me to hand them a number. And that's so silly. I've never met these people before. I don't know what their lifestyle's like. I don't know how they travel. I don't know how they live. I don't know how they eat, what they like to eat, those sorts of things, mm. the kinds of cars they like to drive. It's your number. You need to come up with that number. And the only way to do that is to really keep track of everything you're spending for three months and then add the annual things like car purchases, taxes, insurance, and so forth, dental care, hearing aids, travel, recreation, 
to sort of zero in on what's a monthly number that you might want to start with. And then you're going to be really disappointed when you come up with the final number. (laughs) Well, hopefully not. You know, I would tell you that most of the people I talk to are not really disappointed by that. Um, But uh, occasionally we have some disappointment that happens. (laughs) And so when when you come up with that number, though, we're still a long way from knowing whether or not you have enough money to live comfortably in retirement. (laughs) Well, maybe you're not. Maybe when you hear the number, you're like, oh, forget it. Retirement's not even going to happen at all. But for most people, it's going to happen in some manner. And if we know what the monthly spending needs are, then we have nailed down one of the crucial things that we have to think about, really what I call your biggest retirement question. Now, we have to begin modifying that number. When you figure out what the number is, we modify it, and we modify it by inflation. How is inflation going to impact this number? And and the answer to that question can be anything that you want it to be. I will tell you this. If we see a return to the kinds of inflation that we experienced in 1979 through 1981 in the country, uh, virtually nobody is going to have the retirement that they planned on. Because from 1979 to 1981, that three-year period of time, the inflation rate increased by 35.1%. Let me tell you about mortgage rates at that time. I can tell you because I got my first. It was 14.8%. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And and today I have friends with mortgages at 2%. Yes, exactly. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, if you had a 35% inflation rate in the 1979 to 81 period, if you took that same rate today and you were making, let's just say you had a modest salary of $60,000 today, that means at the end of that period, you'd really be living on 40000 instead of 60000 That's the impact that it would have. Now, most people don't give too much consideration to inflation, and here's why. From 1991 through 2021, a 30-year period of time, the cost of living has only doubled, meaning if you were living on a dollar in 1991, you only have to have $2 to live on as much today. But as we said, in 79 to 81, it increased by 35%. Mm -hmm. Now, if we went back to the 30-year period from 1961 to 1991, instead of a dollar increasing to $2, a dollar would have to increase to $4. So the question when we think about inflation coming on your biggest retirement question number, which is how much you want to live on every month, is what inflation number do we use? And it's just a wild guess is really what it is. Now, I will tell you in my planning for clients, I use 3%. And that would have been adequate for the past 30 years. It would have been more than adequate. But can we really expect that the next 30 years will be like the last 30 years, particularly when the government is printing and injecting all this money into the economy that they are right now? That has got to drive inflation forward. In fact, our recent uh, numbers that came out on inflation, if I recall, just about two weeks ago, I I think if I remember right, it was 2.6%. So we're getting pretty close to our 3% number there. Mm -hmm. And I expect that we'll see some much higher numbers. And we could see out of control, runaway inflation. And if that happens when you retire, boy, it really puts a cramp on uh, your retirement uh, nest egg uh, and shrinks the ability that you have to provide the living that you're seeking for yourself. Then you go back to the supermarket and you get a job. That's what you do. You know, you have to start asking that famous question, would you like fries with that? Yeah. Now, once we've got your number, Patrice... So we know what your retirement number is, how much money you want each month. Um, Then we have to move to the next question. And the next question is, okay, how much monthly income do you already have automatically that's going to be coming in every month? 
And this will be from like social security, pensions, things like that. We're going to want to use a net number after taxes. The problem with that form that social security sends out to tell you how much you're going to be receiving every month, starting when you're age 67 in two months or whatever it is, uh, is that's a gross number and it doesn't have the taxes mm -hmm. taken out of it. We have to back out the taxes in doing the calculation. So here's what we're looking at. We know what your target income number is. Now, what's the automatic monthly money that you'll have coming in from your pension? What pension? Say, Wait a minute. What they, pension? Yeah, most people don't have pensions anymore. Although I would tell you that when we are speaking to a large group and I ask people to raise their hand, these are usually retirement age people, I ask them to raise your hand. How many of you have pensions? Still about 20% of the crowd will raise their hand and have pensions. I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, it's, it's more than I expect. Um, but that, those are all people who are in their 60s, you know. So the people who are listening to the podcast today who are in their 50s or in their 40s, they're not going to have yeah. pensions by and large. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't exist. So if you do have a pension, for those who are fortunate enough to have a pension, then here's the next question. Does your pension have a cost of living adjustment on it? Because if it does, and it's matched to the rate of inflation, well, then if inflation is 3% and your pension has a cost of living adjustment of 3%, then that is automated and it took care of itself. We don't have to worry about that. Most people say, well, I don't know if it's got a cost of living adjustment on it. All right, here's the second question. Um, when you die, does your spouse get your pension? Oh, well, I don't know. That's a pretty important question. Because if you're like my wife and I, I've been the person who spent most of his life out of the house doing the work, collecting up all the money for the family. She's been the one who's kept the home fires burning. Well, then if we retire and I die five years into retirement, if, if, if I had a pension and my pension didn't name her to receive it after I die, if the pension died with me, then wow, she's up the creek. spot. And I see people come in who have designed their retirement so that their pension all goes to the first person and there's nothing left for the surviving spouse. Oh. And they've never given it the first thought. And oh, I'm like, dude, no. you're not smart enough to retire. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> really? I mean, really? yeah. and these are always people I'm thinking about this one guy who I remember did it. You know, he's a guy who had swagger. He had an answer for every question. He was in charge. He didn't really need to be here. He knew what he was doing. Well, <laughs> no, he didn't know what he's doing. And if I recall correctly, yeah, he wound up not being a client of mine because it's like, you don't fit here, sir. You're not thinking in the right, responsible kind of way. Hmm. Now, the next thing that you could have income coming from, if it's not a pension, is most everybody will have income coming from Social Security. And then what is the COLA that you're going to calculate on Social Security? I'll tell you, Social Security does have a COLA, a cost of living adjustment. That's what COLA stands for. It's not a Coke, sorry, uh, or Pepsi or whatever. Uh, it's a cost of living adjustment. And generally, it, the cost of living adjustment of Social Security seems to me to be just a little bit less than what the actual inflation rate is. So if you had inflation of 3%, the cost of living adjustment on Social Security might be about 2.6 or something like that. Now, there are other sources besides pension and, and Social Security that you could have income from. You could own a rental uh, property, a, a house that you rent. Or around here, we've got uh, people who have moved to the Missouri Ozarks to retire because the mountains, the lakes, the fishing, the entertainment related to Branson, the good health care here in Springfield, all those sorts of things. But they moved here from Iowa or Kansas where their families had big farms. And they kept the farmland and now they cash rent the farmland to some younger farmer. So every year they've got a check coming in from that farmland, even though they're no longer actually farming it. Hmm, nice. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Maybe maybe uh, it's somebody who sold a business uh, or a piece of property and they're getting paid out on that. Or maybe your grandpa was rich and you get a check from the trust fund every month. Those are sources of automatic income that you may be able to count on for the rest of your life. Now, now think about this. The question that we started with was how much monthly income are you going to need every month? And then we said, how much automatic income are you already going to receive from pension, social security, rent, and all these other sources? And so now what we have is we know whether or not you have a surplus or a shortfall. And most people are going to have a shortfall at this point. They said, I want 7000 a month. I don't have a pension. All I have is Social Security. Social Security is going to pay me 2000 a month. So I have a $5,000 a month shortfall. Right. Now, that shortfall, Patrice, is what has to be solved for. And that's what must be paid for from your savings and your investments. And so now we're really getting into the meat of the question. Do you have enough in savings and investments to make up for this shortfall and to do so every year to life expectancy? And that's why I need you. Exactly. <laughs> you really do. There's nothing that you couldn't figure out if this is what you did every day. But people don't think about these things in all their angles and nuances and it becomes kind of a, a hard word problem to figure their way through. For example, I just said something in that last sentence that is kind of tricky. I said, do you have enough in savings and investments to make up for this shortfall and to do so to life expectancy? Oh, what right. Is, what is life expectancy? Oh. How long will you live? And, you know, everybody always wants to argue about this one. It's really kind of funny. Well, I, I just won't live that long. Well, my people don't live that long. Oh, really? Well, how old's your grandpa live to be? Well, he's 87. He's still doing great. Okay, well, what about your dad? Well, he's 67, and he's still doing great. Yeah, well, I think that if grandpa's 87, <laughs> dad's 67, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you might see 95. So don't give me this, I won't live so long kind of thing. Here's what life expectancy is. If you turn 65 today, the average male will live another 17.8 years. The average person lives to 82.8 if they're male. If they're female, they live another 20.45 years or they live to age 85. So when you turn 65 today, out of everybody who turns 65, the average person in the group, if he's male, will live to 82. If he's female, will live or she's female, will live to age 85. Now, when we say average, that just means half. So if we had a thousand people in the room, the person in the middle of the thousand, I guess that's person number 500, uh, actually it'd be person number 500.5. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> if, if you had a thousand people in the room, uh, 500 of those people are going to die before age 82 and 85, but 500 of those people are going to live longer than 82 or 85. And so the question is, are you in the die early group or the die later group? And once you reach a certain age, you are expected to even continue beyond to 100. Well, actually, people who are 100 years old still have life expectancy. There you go. Because if you think about it, everybody who's lived to 100, they don't drop dead at 100. Yeah. They live to 100, and it's like, well, if you make it to 100, what's your life expectancy? Now, at that point, it's only like two more years. But people who are 100 years old still have life expectancy. So back in 1994, when I first started in this industry, we used to plan people 
to live to their early 70s. We would say, well, you know, you got enough money to make it out to about age 72. If you live longer than that, it's your own darn fault. <laughs> and uh, so go and have a great life. But 72 is no longer sufficient, uh, as you might guess. Um, today, we plan people routinely to age 100. And sometimes they'll say, well, there's no way I'm going to live to 100. I know, I know. Wouldn't it be a shame if you if you plan to 100 and you live to 94 and died with a little money left? Yeah. That'd be a good thing. So, so the point is, we just want to be sure that we don't, in our planning, kill you off too soon. <laughs> because if we plan to 90 and you live to 94, those last four years hustling shopping carts on the lot down at the Walmart are going to be really hard on a 90-some-year-old guy. And lifting those fries and handing them out the window, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, you can't, and you won't be able to hear what they're ordering <laughs> because you can't afford the hearing aids. Plan, plan to live to 100. And for some of you, that's not enough because your parents are living beyond 100. And so occasionally we will plan someone like to 105 or something like that. I don't think we've gone uh, any further than that. One of my colleagues and mentors, a guy by the name of Dan Sullivan, has got this whole concept that he's built around the idea of extending your life. And he's got some principles that he teaches that if you'll do this and this and this and this, it'll add to your life. And I think he's right about that. I think he's a little overwhelmed in how many years it's going to add to his life, but it's a fun exercise to go through. The last I knew Dan was going to live to like 156 or something. Oh, like that. no. He had figured out. I doubt that that's really going to occur. <laughs> but do the you point want is, to? You, do you want yeah, to live that long? Well, well, Dan is really focusing on drinking his pomegranate juice and getting his exercises. <laughs> and he has a, a person hired to come to his house a couple of times a week and stretch him and those sorts of things. So <clears throat> that's really important uh, to maintain your health if you're planning on living that long. But 156. Oh, no, yeah, no. Well, he probably, he probably won't make it that long. But the point is, you're probably going to live longer than you expect. So we have to plan for that. We have to take your money, your savings and investments, and we have to see if it will supplement your pension, social security, and other income. And will your savings and investments stretch across all the years that you likely have left? And if they don't, you're going to have to die. Is that it? You either have to die or you have to delay your retirement or you have to live on less. Those are the adjustments that we may have to make at that point. Now, what are the things that influence how long your money is going to last? Well, we already addressed inflation. Mm -hmm. Because the rate of inflation can go up so rapidly that the cost of living is higher. It costs you more to live than you expected it to. And so your money may not last as long. The second thing, though, that in impacts how long your money lasts is your earnings rate, particularly with regard to potential market losses. You see, a down market, if you're invested in the stock market, a down market the year after you retire or a few years after you retire can reduce the life expectancy of your money it, by as much as 40%. So we could say, you know, you've got enough money to last to 95, but because of down market hit, now you've only got enough money to last to 83. Wow. That's going to be a problem. You say, well, it's no problem. It'll come back. Well, yeah, but it won't come back for you because you're withdrawing out of this account while it's already down. Think about it. If you got a hundred dollar account and your hundred dollar account, you're wanting to take $5 a month out of, or I'm sorry, $5 a year out of, or 5% out of it. Um, so $100 minus $5, 5%. Now, if you have a down market, so your $100 becomes only $70 because the market mm -hmm. went down by 30%. And now you take another $5 out of that. At the end of one year, 
you've only got 65% of your original money left. You're down in value by 35% in your first year. And you've only got 65% of your account left to try to grow back. So it doesn't work to retire into down markets. And the temptation then is to say, well, what I'll do is I'll protect my money. And okay, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to buy certificates of deposit and bonds. Oh, have you looked at bond rates lately? Oh, no. 2% and less. So the question is, well, how can I invest to buffer the volatility of my portfolio so that I can still earn a decent return and not get hammered by a down market? And let me just tell you, there are tools and strategies that we use to help people with that particular problem. But what I want you to grasp today is that one of the things that influences how long your money lasts is earnings rates and potential market losses. And so you have to be invested in a way that will buffer you and protect you against those potential market losses. And then one of the other things that can impact the amount of time that your money lasts, Patrice, is the cost of health care. And for retirees, that is a big concern. Monster return. Monster issue, rather, concern. Um, you can protect against that. If you haven't, for most people, the only solution that is potentially left is called the, the LIRP, L-I-R-P, the Life Insurance Retirement Plan, which is really a, a strategy that I mention often because we like it a lot. We use it a lot. I use it personally in my own situation. And on episode 14 of the podcast entitled How to Have More Tax-Free Income in Retirement, Episode number 14, we really unpack what a LERP is and how a LERP can help to pay for long-term care costs. So that might be something you want to go back and listen to episode number 14, how to have more tax-free income in retirement. There's one final thing, really, Patrice, that impacts how long your money lasts in retirement, and that is changes in tax rates. The greater the tax, the more it erodes your nest egg. You and see this is some, in, well, this is something that retirees have no control over really no nobody has any control yeah. over this uh because the government just announces what the tax will be and so people come in and they say you know i've got a million dollars in my uh, ira account that ought to be enough to retire oh really you got a million dollars in that account well do you have to pay taxes on it well of course i do okay well what kind of tax are you gonna have to pay oh well it looks like about 30 percent Okay, so you don't have a million dollars in your retirement account. You've got $700,000, and Uncle Sam has $300,000 that he's just keeping in your retirement account for himself later. But, you know, if Uncle Sam decides that he really needed $400,000 instead of $300,000, mm -hmm. then he's just going to say, okay, I need $400,000, and all you're going to have left in your account is $600,000 because Uncle Sam gets to decide how much of that account is his. And so think about this for a moment. As taxes increase, it erodes your nest egg. And so imagine that you have a perfect storm of a difficult stock market where market losses were experienced during a time where there were higher taxes. And then imagine the stress of all that caused you to have a health care problem. Oh. And suddenly a retirement that looked secure for you and your spouse for the next 30 years can quickly find itself on life support. I would prefer not to be there. Well, Patrice, I'm optimistic that you won't have to be there through proper planning. Now, we can't plan away everything. You know, people get diagnosed with diseases that are incurable, and we just can't fix those. 
we can't uh, plan away every automobile accident, every uh, slip and fall and break your brain kind of thing, every stroke. My mother was touring in a, a museum in Dayton, Ohio, and had a stroke while she was touring the museum. And suddenly she found herself touring the hospital there at oh. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. She's fine today. She did fine from it. But, but the point is, that was a, a, a curveball that came out of nowhere. And curveballs can happen. So what we want to do is we want to design and plan for you, Patrice, in such a way that the only thing left that can mess you up is a curveball. Because as long as it's going to be straight fastballs, we've planned for those. We've designed for those. We know what those are. And we do that by just working out a big math problem. You start with the income number you want. You subtract out any income that you have from other sources like pensions and social security and rent and things of that nature. And then we figure out whether your nest egg can be stretched to provide enough income to bridge the gap over all the years that you're going to be in retirement. And though it's just a math problem, if you don't do that kind of math every day and bring all of those variables into the equation, it can feel kind of daunting. And you sure don't want to get it wrong or to miss a number or to fail to include a factor. And so if you're not comfortable with how you do all this, well, this is what we do every day for clients at savingyoutaxes.com. And if you would like help with that, we're here to help you. That's what we're here for. Go to savingyourtaxes.com and there you'll find all of our contact information. You can reach out and tell us you'd like help in answering the biggest retirement question. And someone from our team will reach back out to you and schedule a time for us to talk and determine if we can be of help to you and help you arrest all of these variable questions so that you can know that you have enough money to last throughout retirement, throughout your entire life expectancy to meet the income goals that you had. And then the only thing that you have left that you don't have control of are issues like surprising health things that might come along. But having the stress of the financial things off your back gives you the emotional energy and the time perhaps to tend to your exercising <laughs> and taking care of all the things you need to do to take care of your health and make it better. Patrice, I hope today's broadcast has helped you develop some tools to assist you in thinking about how to answer your biggest retirement question. On behalf of SavingYouTaxes.com, I'm Barry Watts, tax strategist and retirement designer, reminding you that when it comes to retirement planning, above all else, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing. 